Hi there, listeners. I'm working on a mailbag episode where I answer your questions. So if you have anything you'd like to ask me, send me an email to sam at kitchentablemagic.org. I'll read all your questions on air in a future episode. Thanks. Kitchen Table Magic is presented by Hipsters of the Coast. Hipsters of the Coast is the premier news and strategy blog for the Magic the Gathering community. Read up on insightful columns written by an expert team of Magic insiders. There's something for everyone. Discussion about legacy, modern, commander, standard, preview cards from the new set, and more. Just go to hipstersofthecoast.com for news and strategy on all your favorite formats. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Are you ready to return to the home of Magic the Gathering? Dominaria is out now. Pick up all your favorite Dominaria singles and sealed product at cardkingdom.com KTM. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. Tune into their stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for daily legacy action. Daniel, can you introduce yourself for the green episode? Sure. Yeah, my name is Daniel Wynn, a local legacy player in the Seattle area, best known for piloting Elves Combo. Hi, I'm Chris Van Meter, and in this new day and age of magic design, green is by far the best color. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. This is part five of our five-part series on Wooburg. In this episode, we're talking about Magic's stompy side, green. Master of Legacy Elves, Daniel Wen, returns to talk to us about why green is the most fair color and why playing green is a pure form of magic. The Beard Father Magic Pro, Chris Van Meter, shares with us his perspectives on how green has had to evolve with magic game design. How does green play so well with other colors? Is green actually the best color? Why is it both new player friendly and a favorite of veterans? I hope you enjoy my conversation with Daniel Wen and Chris Van Meter on the color green. So the first thing that I would definitely ask you about green is why did you choose green to talk about? Green is the best color because it's the most fun. It's just the most fun. You get to make big giant creatures. You get to make your stuff happen a little faster. You sometimes get to draw some cards and it's healthy. It's a healthy, organic, wholesome way to play magic and everyone else is trying to cheat. (laughs) Everyone else is trying to cheat. Yes. Chris, why do you choose to talk about green? Well, I choose to talk about green because it's basically the best at everything that it tries to do. In fact, it's so good at it that they've had to remove making certain types of cards from magic design philosophy because it was just so good in the like the whole landscape of magic. Cards like Elvish Mystic cannot be made anymore because they are just too good. Cards like Rampant Growth and Farseek cannot be made anymore because they are just too good. You have to pay more mana for the same effect, and even then, those cards still see some play. Why did those effects break magic or affect magic in a way that they can't be present anymore in the modern day game? So those effects were, I don't want to use the term detrimental for magic, but it started to push the fundamental turn down to the point where interaction was so important that you had to eschew playing fun cards or synergistic cards to get on the board and be able to interact with your opponent. So something like Elvish Mystic makes it so that you can't really have good three mana planeswalkers in the format because they just end up being too good. Cards like Rampant Growth end up making like these mid-range strategies 
like we saw with Jund, Thrag Tusk, Bonfire. They just highly facilitate those types of strategies. Because green plays so well with every other color, you have to keep that in mind too when you're designing these cards. And it puts a big stranglehold on what you can do from that perspective on those ramp cards. And because that's like what green's identity is, it just becomes tough. And we've seen the current design philosophy has moved away from cards like Elvish Mystic and Rampant Growth. But in exchange, we get like Core Serve Crew Fix and Tireless Tracker. And I'm fine with that. And that's why green is so powerful. Not only can it ramp and do things on its own, but it plays extremely well with all of the other colors in Magic. Daniel, what do you enjoy most about playing green? I enjoy that it is a more analytical way to play Magic in the sense that it's playing Magic the way Magic was meant to be played. I don't have complete information. I only know what I'm doing on my end, whereas some decks, other colors will have you know, counter magic or ways to peek at your hand or ways to get additional information outside of the your side of the board. Being successful playing green or any non-blue deck, really, and especially in Legacy, you have to look at your opponent. You have to look in their eyes. You have to get a feel for what's in their hand intuitively. You have to get that poker kind of read on people. And I think getting away from blue decks, getting away from having complete information makes you better at that. I, I remember when I was the best, getting the best performances uh, playing non-blue decks, it's because I was interacting with my opponent, not like, you know, countering their spells or whatever, but like talking to them, trying to suss out a little bit of their personality. I was playing the game on that level. And I think playing a non-blue deck helps to work on those skills. Of course, you can do those when you're playing blue deck too. That's kind of scary if you can do both of those things. (laughs) But uh, I think it's easier to focus on those reading your opponents and stuff when you don't have complete information. Chris, what do you know about green that average players don't know? I think one of the tricky parts of the color green and magic is that it is able to play a part in all of the different roles. You'll find green in combo decks, aggressive decks, mid-range decks, and control decks, but figuring out how to use those cards properly given the situation that you're in is not easy and is generally messed up by newer or novice players. A card like Corsair of Crufix is one that I like to use as an example. It's a card advantage engine. It gains you life. Instantly, people think, well, that's a control card. Well, that's a mid-range card. But when I had a lot of success pairing it with cards like Stormbreath Dragon and Thunderbreak Regent, which are not control cards and are not mid-range cards, they are very aggressive cards, they balance each other out, and I was able to win multiple tournaments with it. One of the tricky aspects for green is the plethora of sideboard cards that it gives you access to, in particular answers for things like artifacts and enchantments. And even recently, with some of the design perspective, it's giving you ways to affect permanence. You can stop planeswalkers, you can interact with lands and creatures. And so finding the best way to utilize that, given the fact that your color is generally known for like big dorky creatures and mana ramp, can be very tricky, and it takes a skilled eye to figure it out. The average magic player is going to be drawn to blue because the first time you realize that card draw is good, you're like, that's all I want to do now is I'm just going to play 100 divinations and draw all the cards. But we still have to entice these people to play green, play the other cards, play you know, this color that traditionally hasn't been as interactive, hasn't been as powerful. Like if you look at, you know, the boon cycle from from Alpha, like you have Giant Growth and you have like Dark Ritual, Lightning Bolt, and Ancestral Recall. There's obviously a disconnect there and where the power level was. And through the history of Magic, we see that green kind of ebbs and flows at being good. And there are like cruxes where everything comes together, right? We have like the elf combo deck from Berlin. LSV crushes everybody. Like in that period, green was insane. 
And then we had Corsair and Crucifix was around, along with like the Absan cards. It was very good. Played it a lot with Junt. Uh, you're seeing it now with uh, Tireless Tracker. Like there are always these kind of ebbs and flows on when green is good. And generally it's because you have these solid cards that do what green is fundamentally known for at that period in time. And then the gold cards and other colors that it works with to augment what it's doing. Daniel, what do you know about green that most other players don't know about? Wow. Um, hmm. That's a tricky one. I will say that I guess most players see green as kind of a newbie, scrubby, you know, uh, new player kind of color, right? And it definitely has a bad rap for that sort of thing. But I think uh, with the way Wizards has pushed green the last few sets, you know, in the last in the new world order, so to speak, it's just like one of those game spaces that can only get better as creatures get better. Of course, a lot of green's real estate or iconic footprint is tied up in a very small number of cards, right? Like that aren't actually green cards in some ways, like uh, Tarmogoyf or Green Sun Zenith or things like that, that are, you know, not every green card is going to be great, right? Where I think the absolute number of really tournament playable green cards, at least in internal formats, is much lower than other colors probably but you know a lot of the a lot of the green is, is card selection it's tutoring it's crazy power toughness ratios and so if you can find a way i think it's a great partner color and you can do a lot of big things with that if you uh construct and aren't afraid of the blue players it really feels that whenever green is added to the mix it really amplifies the game plan of all the other color identities and how mm -hmm. they like to win totally yeah i think every format has their kind of best color right but i think green maybe it's not the best color in certain formats but it's a great yeah as you said accessory color it adds a lot of utility to certain decks you know i wish there was more of it but as new cards get printed, a lot of the old green stuff is, is um, retroactively powered up, like Green Suns or Goyf or I don't know if Deathrite counts as green or black, right? People think of it as a blue card, kind of a planeswalker. <laughs> Especially with pairings like green-black, like Decay and Pernicious Deed, like those cards are great. And so getting some cards that are like very aggressively angry at blue and trying to find ways to deal with uh, a lot of blue stuff. To me, green is like a vengeance color. You know those movies where like the, the protagonist, like in John Wick, this dog gets killed and it goes and has like a rampage against like the Russian mob or whatever. Like to me, that's a very green-black story. And so when I play green, I play angry. You know, I'm trying to crush people who maybe have better tools than I do. <laughs> <laughs> what mechanics are quintessential to green as a color identity? To green as a color identity. I think green's color identity, um, and of course, this is coming from a legacy context, are tied mostly around graveyard control, acceleration, and having beat sticks, right, that are very efficient for the amount of mana you're putting into them. And so for those reasons, it's very good uh, as an accessory color. Yeah, and a lot of stuff to do with lands, right? Like Knight of the Reliquary kind of cards or Life from the Loam kind of cards. I think green is, is a great mid-range color. And so a lot of those mechanics that, you know, maybe aren't going to win the game on their own, but as a whole kind of work together to put you in a better position, those are the kind of things that I think green are good at right now. The quintessential mechanics and the color identity for green would be trample, ramp, fighting, pumping your creatures, being able to interact with artifacts and enchantments. But what's interesting is when the color is on top of whatever format it's in, it's generally not because of any of those things. It's because the color, like green is taking the quintessential mechanics from the other colors and having it added onto the bodies of the green creatures. So when that, when we have Eternal Witness and Corsair of Crufix, Tireless Tracker, Ishkana Graph Widow, Primeval Titan, like Thrag Tusk, what we find is that like the quintessential green mechanic that makes it good is value. And 
creatures with value is what the design the design philosophy is aligned with right now with wizards. So that's why green is the best, is because wizards is actively trying to make creatures with spell-like abilities den protectors, one that comes to, to mind as well. We're actively making creatures with spell-like abilities, and that is perfect for green, and that's why it's flourishing. Daniel, what do you think the role of green is within the game of magic? Green's role in the within the game of magic, uh, in some ways, I feel is is tied to creating boundaries about what the upper limits on a creature is in regards to power toughness ratio for cost. Right? What what is three mana? What is the best creature I can get for three mana? You should see that in green. That doesn't it's not always the case, but I think green's role is to kind of create boundaries around how efficient a creature should be, how big a creature should be, and how much value you should get out of, you know, let's say, uh, for a long time, certain power toughness ratios were tied to certain numbers. I think like one of the big green creatures is like eight mana for a 15-15, that kind of stuff. It's kind of restating, what you know, how much a big creature should cost. So, uh, I think green is good at policing or creating lines around that. I think it's great at showing what you can do at the, at the higher ends of a curve, right? Getting you there faster and making those turns more productive. And so that's like battlecruiser magic. And I think uh, green is more fun for that kind of stuff. So Chris, green is really a versatile color. And we can agree that green makes a lot of the other colors so much more powerful when mixed together. What is the role of the color green within the entire game of magic? So the role of the color green within the entire game of magic I feel has changed as we've progressed throughout the game and the design philosophy at Wizards has changed a bit. Because of cards like Birds of Paradise and its heavy focus on creatures and spells that can either fetch different color lands out of your deck or generate different colors, I feel like the design philosophy or its role within the colors was just to augment the other colors, allow you to play multiple colors, allow you to ramp, just kind of be a middleman for everything else. But now with the New World Order design philosophy as it's coined, with the focus on creatures having spell effects, I think the green has kind of been catapulted to the forefront of, all right, we got the beef, we got we got the creatures, we got the value. Now we're going to augment ourselves with the other colors and get cards like Dromoka's Command or get cards like Atarka's Command, Grim Flare, looking at cards like Ishkana utilizing other colors. Siege Rhino. Green is more the rock that everything else is built upon within the Colors of Magic in the current design scheme. And it's also one of the core colors of the deck archetype, the rock as well. It is. Coincidentally. (laughs) Yeah, it does kind of make everything stronger, it seems. So Tarmogoyf is, it's an interesting card. It gets better as Magic will continue to evolve card types, if you will. They actually have to keep in mind that. So you see like vehicles were artifacts and not like their own special card type because you don't want to keep growing the Tarmogoyf. But at its core, it is just a vanilla two-mana creature, right? So it's a very good thought experiment in how big does it have to be at two-mana for it to be good. And if Tarmogoyf was just always a 5-6... Would it be good enough? Yes. If it was a 4-5, it probably would still be good enough if it was just a 4-5. But once you get to like a 3-4, they've now printed a 2-mana 3-4 in one of the Nyssa Planeswalker decks that doesn't see play at all. So we know that that's kind of the bar for where the Tarmogoyf needs to be on average. And once you start looking at it that way, you have to ask yourself, do I really want to be playing this card? So a good example is in Modern, we had the Jun Death Shadow deck that utilized Tarmogoyf. Generally, it's like a 7-8 or bigger in that deck. But it just wasn't good enough to stop moving away from the blue cards. 
So we saw the Jun Death Shadow deck move to the Grixis Death Shadow deck because a one mana 8 8 is better than a two mana 7 8. So you have to keep Death Shadow. But being able to, you know, interact in different ways with like Snapcaster Mage and Stubborn Denial, Tarmogoyf just wasn't worth it there. So I feel like as long as there's something better than Tarmogoyf in a different color, then the value of Tarmogoyf goes down. But when there isn't something better, then it's top dog. Hello, friends. Do you know how many no's I get when asking people to guest on Kitchen Table Magic? A lot. Mostly, people just don't respond, or they're just busy. But I've gotten many yeses, and it's all because of your generous listening of the show. Your likes and follows on Facebook and Twitter lets the Magic community know that this show is legit. When you tell your friends about this cool podcast you listen to, they start listening as well. Your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and iTunes helps new listeners find the show. It's all because of you that helps Kitchen Table Magic grow and be heard by more people around the world. Your financial support on patreon.com slash kitchen table magic helps to pay for the audio equipment, editing software, and web hosting that actually produces the show. Just think about it. Airwaves from my voice translates into electronic signals that are stored as ones and zeros on my hard drive, and then on servers that are delivered via the internet to your device, and then back into sound waves where they finally hit your eardrums. And once these sound waves enter your brain, they inspire you and connect you to the community and history of Magic the Gathering. If you'd like to join the squad, head on over to patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Mucho thanks to my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future, who are amazing people that always open bomb rares in their sealed pool. Thanks for listening. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. Kitchen Table Magic has been all about the origins of the game and the members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games are so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for weekly Magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden deck boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games with their friendly staff that allow local Magic communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They have great online reviews that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of Magic cards, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern, commander, legacy, and standard staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic cards. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of their pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Be sure to sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes, special deals, and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, fast shipping, great customer service, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to help support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. 
Just go to cardkingdom.com slash KTM when you shop. Daniel, why do you think that we need to have green in the game? I think we need to have green in the game because it's the most honest way to play magic. You know, you're trying to make big, crazy things happen, but in a completely steadfast, <laughs> fun and honest way. Uh, there's no trickery behind it, you know? Um, and I think that is fun for a lot of people and they need a place to do that. They can be spiky without without being too, uh, what's the word? Too tryhardy, I guess, is the word I can think of. Too tryhardy. Can you elaborate? What do you mean by like too tryhardy? I mean, there's ways to do cool, fun things in magic. Some people doing stuff with like Deadeye Navigator and EDH or something silly like that. And some people want to have fun with magic in a less ridiculous manner, like less arcane, obtuse, game rule type things, right? I think green is a more, when I say honest, that's what I mean by honest magic. I think green is, is more honest because it's very clear what things are doing and how, how they're powerful. Um, whereas some parts of magic are a little harder for newer players to understand, to see interactions. And so green, I think, needs to be there for newer players to see, oh, okay, that's a 2020. That's clearly awesome and big and scary for this whatever reason. Whereas something, someone who's blinking permanence in and out of play, that's not obviously that awesome to, to certain people. So everyone has to find how they enjoy magic in their own way. I think green is a, is a healthy way to do that. Now we're going to talk about some of like your favorite green cards, like favorite creatures, instance, whatever. The best green creature is, of course, Deathrite Shaman. And so that's kind of a contentious answer. Some people hate that card, but I think it's great to be hated. I think it means you're doing something right. And that card is amazing. You can gain two life, of course. You can drain for two. You can accelerate. Um, it's a very fair card. It's only as good as, as how much juice someone has in their graveyard. And it's a very skill-testing card in the sense that, you know, of course, everyone's going to play the best card. So a Deathrite Mirror... Very skill testing. I think it's some really interesting games can happen when uh, you're testing how to, who's going to respond to whose activation, end of turn, and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, for that reason, I think Deathrite's an amazing card. I also think Scavenging Ooze is a great card because uh, for the same reason, it's very fair. Uh, it gives you incremental advantage, and it's also skill testing because you know it's trying to, of course, trying to eat cards out of the graveyard. They don't always have to be creatures, but if they are, you can make it a little, you know, get one one counters on there and gain life. So it allows you to draw out of a bad situation. It's great after a board wipe, right? Um, so you can turn a, a bad situation into a good one. So if someone wipes your board, you now have a, a lot of fuel for your scavenging ooze. And it's skill testing because some people will just pump all their mana into it and try to eat an entire yard and that gives an opponent an opportunity to bolt it or whatever. So there's skill testing in the sense that you want to play it when you have enough fuel to eat to get past a bolt and you also want to take your time with those activations to make sure that your opponent doesn't respond in a disadvantage uh, in, in a way that would disadvantage you as far as you know activating each one individually and that sort of thing. Another great green spell is uh, Green Sun Zenith. Of course you get a lot of utility. It tutors up any creature so you can put it right into the battlefield for one extra mana. It gives you additional virtual copies of a card so it's great for toolbox type stuff or just maybe you want eight tarmogoyfs that's okay too um and i love the fact that you can next level an opponent by it's extra less right when you cast that so you can tap you know you i'm going to cast green sun for three x is three what do you think i'm going to get and you can force them to make inopportune plays based on what they think you're going to get especially in the days with counterbalance or even spell snare that sort of thing that care about cmc Converted mana cost, 
uh, I think green sand has a lot of play to it in that regard. And also, you don't ever have to deck yourself if you have a couple green sands in your deck. So there's a very small corner case uh, reason to like it for there for that too. I think Garrick Relentless is a really awesome green card. Um, it's kind of, of course, kind of a, a black card as well. But I think that's probably one of the best green planeswalkers I think that I can think of. Maybe maybe it's the best one. But it ha- it has so much utility, and that's kind of where green is interesting. You can of course make the token, the two two wolf. You can shoot a thing, so it's like green removal, which you don't have too much of uh, in the green by itself. And, and then you can flip that thing over, and it gives you tutoring. Uh, you can sack a creature to go find another creature and put it in your hand. So that's awesome, and it makes creature for you to sack. It makes one one death touch wolves. And that's part of me likes that card also because it's one card that makes two kinds of tokens, which is always fun. Like if you like throwing out extra game pieces, green is where you want to be for making tokens and doing stupid stuff like that. So um, yeah, Garrick Relentless is awesome. Some of my other favorite green cards, my actual favorite green card is Primeval Titan. It's largely because of a card that's banned in modern that's also green and that's Summer Bloom. This was a card that kind of breaks the traditional number rolls in Magic where allowing you to play three extra lands turns out to be too much when you have ways to abuse it. But cards like Primeval Titan, I feel, are just very, very good. And it wasn't just Primeval Titan. It was the, the Titan cycle as a whole was just a real big home run for Magic in general. Creating these creatures that have the feel of a Mythic Rare. So if something's going to feel Mythic, Primeval Titan is like a huge example of a card that feels like a Mythic Rare. You know, there's six mana cards, which generally don't see a lot of play unless they interact the battlefield when they you know when they enter the battlefield you get the additional uh, value when you attack with them but just the ability of fetching any lands out of your deck is not something that you see very often in magic tends to be extremely powerful in fact from titan is banned in commander because that's just so good and we have a card very similar that just got printed in hour of devastation called hour of promise and that is quickly becoming one of my new favorite green cards. It's not a creature, but it does still give you that Primeval Titan ability to fetch any two lands out of your deck, which is unique to green, one of the things that makes green the best, and is very powerful. So of the, I don't want to say Punisher cards, but there's a cycle of Last Stand cards in Hour of Devastation that gives you a powerful effect at an under-costed price, and then makes your lands not, not untapped the next turn. These are very good cards from a design perspective because they help teach people how to evaluate cards and evaluate cost on cards because Ronus's Last Stand is not a two-mana spell. It's not. It costs two mana, but at the very least, it's a four-mana spell because you don't get to use that two mana next turn, potentially not getting to use more mana the following turn. It's more similar to a card with Echo. You know, If it was two mana for a 5-4 and then pay two the next turn or sacrifice it, I think that card would be very, very good because it gives you the option. You have flexibility. With how it is now, it's at the very least four mana for a 5-4, and I wouldn't play that. If any of the Last Stand cards end up seeing play, I think that it's going to be Ronus's Last Stand because it has the lowest opportunity cost because you can cast it on turn two and not really fill the effects. But the other ones, like the black one that's a that's a three mana wrath, that's really a six mana wrath that I wouldn't play as a six mana wrath. It's difficult to evaluate those cards. I feel it's going to create a lot of aha or level up moments for people when they realize how to evaluate them properly, unless there's a way that you can cheat the cost. So who knows? We'll see. What are some common plays from green that you can think of? 
this is cheating, but it's it's a little bit of black in this play. But my favorite play, and this is from an elves perspective, this very specific play, okay? So I'm playing elves versus Esper Deathblade or any kind of Stoneforge Mystic deck, right? And so I'm going to attack with my, it's a very specific situation. I'm going to, I have a Nettle Sentinel versus a Stoneforge Mystic with a GTA on it, okay? And this situation happens more often than you think versus uh, an Esper Blade deck. So I'll attack with my Nettle Sentinel and he will decline to block, of course, and then he'll suit up and he's going to attack with uh, the Stoneforge Mystic with a GTA on it. And I'm going to cast an Abrupt Decay, un- untapping my Nettle Sentinel, block the Stoneforge Mystic and decay the GTA and get a two for one right there. And that's my favorite my favorite play with green. I love that. That's right, because Nettle Sentinel untaps whenever you cast a Correct. green spell. I love it. Yeah, gotten a lot of people with that play. <laughs> you think that they know about it. It's hard to see. <laughs> really? Well, you, they have to know I have the decay. Uh-huh. And they have to... A lot of people forget that Nettle Sentinel will untap, so... You know, when you're playing green, you have to be like a master of onboard interactions that maybe your opponent will see, but are not not quite as obvious to them because they're not as familiar with some of your cards. So another another reason to to play green to get those one advantages on your opponent when you kind of have to fight from behind a little bit. Interesting, and they don't have any counters on the GTA yet because they haven't swung right. at you, so because right. they're trying to do it as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. Yeah, a lot of times you'll see Esper Blade players go fetch the GTA first because it's better at dealing with creatures rather than a Batter Skull, which doesn't give you enough you know, utility as far as removal. So you'll see that often. Brutal combos in green. So uh, turn one Elvish Mystic into any three drop on turn two is really brutal. And that's why we don't see the card anymore. Playing something like Domri Raid on turn two is very good. Like, could you imagine how good Nissa Voice of Zendikar would be if we had Elvish Mystic in the format? Uh, I would be... Very, very gross. I like how you went really lean and efficient. It wasn't like play a bunch of elves, tap, you know, core calling into creator poof behemoth, untap them all and attack for a bunch. It, w- it wasn't something like that. It was like, I get to play something that costs three on turn two. <laughs> and it's a planeswalker. Yeah, I mean, it's, you do have these sweet over the top things, right? Like glimpse of nature, gaze cradle, play a hundred things, kill you. That's cool. And that's going to happen when you can like assemble your stuff. Just having four Elvish Mystic and four Domi Raid in your deck means that I played him on turn two, roughly 20 to 30% of my games. And when you're on the play, it was almost unbeatable during that time. To me, that is the definition of being brutal. Daniel, what do you think is like the future trend of this color? Like, what do you think is the future trend in green? Like, where um, is green going in the future? I think green is going the same way as a lot of the creatures in Magic, where you see a lot of creatures who are just more than vanilla creatures, right? They have utility on them. They're like creatures with spells. And this has changed the way Magic behaves. I think it's made the game more mid-rangey, um, which is not necessarily a problem. Some people aren't happy with it, but, you know, different kinds of Magic for different kinds of people. Um, but I think it's making the game more interesting. It's making, giving you more decision points. It's giving you more utility. It's, it's, it's making it more complex, which uh, I think is great for tournament play, maybe not for new players. But, you know, when, when you have so many creatures that are pushed, it's from a, from a power level perspective that becomes kind of unmanageable at some point. So I'm not sure how to balance that. I'm not a game designer. I'm just a guy who likes slinging spells. But uh, I think, yeah, green is, is, is going to see some dipping into other color pies. Chris, do you see any future trends for green? Like, where is green headed in this modern era, new world order, future, future league, and now we have play design? Like, just kind of like in this modern era of magic right now. So, in the modern era of magic where we are now, I think that we are on the cusp of a downward swing in green's power level. So, we saw 
a very big tick upwards with Domri, Xenagos, Corsor of Crufix, Tireless Tracker. Those cards have been seen a lot of play. Long Tusk Cub, you know, just another very, very good green card. But now when we look at our Hour of Devastation, yes, we do have Hour of Promise as a very good green card, but the other colors are starting to catch up. So for a very long time, we had green was like the best card advantage color in standard. Green gave you card selection, it gave you ramp, it gave you great creatures, you had awesome planeswalkers. But now it's kind of starting to equalize a bit. Counterspells are getting better. Red is starting to get some more good interaction. A card like a Braid hasn't been in standard for a very long time. The other colors are starting to catch up. And I think that for green in the future, it's going to be kind of more of an augment in color than this is the rock. This We're the best at everything. You guys get to play with us. Now it's going to be more so, you know, we're going to work together to do what it is we're trying to do. But green is going to be more of a an augmented color, I think. A history of green. So I think green, of course, was something that a lot of new people thought was just for new players had kind of a, a newbie appeal, a Timmy appeal. So it's, been, it's always been a Timmy color. But as the game has kind of progressed and gotten more complex, exploring new mechanics, I think green has a not only an opportunity, but a challenge to continue embracing that Timmy feel, but also to get a little spikier with the way you can um, make utility cards with green, uh, dip into other color pies with green abilities. Of course, I think uh, other colors have a little bit more utility than green. And so in in some ways, it's an underdog's color. You know, if you want to fight for the underdog and be the one who kind of earns victory uh, the forthright way, then you want to play green. A lot, of, a lot of people would say white is the color of justice or whatever, but to me, it's, it's always been green. <laughs> but I will say that the next time you're trying to brew a new deck or have a theme or a mechanic you want to take advantage of, just stop for a second and see if green can do it better before you move on. I really enjoyed hearing Daniel and CVM talk about the color green. Green sometimes gets a bad rap, but it's really a powerful color. Now that you've heard the hot takes on each color of the Woo Bird color pie, it's time for you to let me know what your thoughts are. Send me a tweet at KTM Podcast or find the show on Facebook.com slash Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. Special thanks to Daniel and CVM for lending their voices to the show. Daniel is in the Seattle area, owning people at Magic. CVM is on Twitter at Chris underscore Van Meter. That's V-A-N-M-E-T-E-R. If you haven't heard the other episodes on the Wooberg Color Pie, go check them out. And stay tuned at the end of this episode for a preview clip of our Season 3 finale. It's time to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Big high fives to Brian, Marcus, James L, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Aaron M, Neil, James G, Aaron C, Corey, Chad, Logan, Jesse, Ben, Nick, Eternal, Dirtles, Matthias, Geraint, Scryfall, Ian, Matt, Priscovi, Carl, Logan, F, Jaina, Kyle, and Ryan. Listeners, if you'd like to get special gifts from my interviews, become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Your financial contribution goes to making the show better and keeps it running by helping to pay for audio equipment, software, and server costs. And when you shop at CardKingdom.com, just use my affiliate link, CardKingdom.com slash KTM. It lets them know you're listening and it really helps support the show. A big thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic the Gathering community with the world. If you haven't heard already, I've created a new YouTube channel called PlayMTG. 
It's an upbeat, fast-paced new YouTube channel featuring deck text from the pros, learn to play tutorials, level up advice, card discussion, community news, and more. Just go to youtube.com slash playmtg. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash playmtg. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at play underscore mtg. If you're loving Kitchen Table Magic, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and mtgcast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at KTM Podcast. The show is on Facebook.com slash Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. All of the show notes are at KitchenTableMagic.org. Remember to listen to past episodes and be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up in the Season 3 finale of Kitchen Table Magic. I had to decide between the last two days of school or Vegas. I chose Vegas. Because the last week of school, there's zero learning. And I feel like magic is more educational than school because it just got me doing the math and reading very, very quickly. I noticed when I was at summer camp that a few kids were playing this new card game. I asked them, hey, what are those? And they were like, oh, you have to get the cards at the store. So I headed over on Friday and begged my mom to take me. When we got there, she saw $4 for a pack of 15 magic cards. That's ridiculous. We went out of the store and that was that. I had just won the TCG player states and I had also gotten third place in the Star City Games states. My dad took that as a sign like, oh my gosh, this kid's really good at magic and was able to buy a plane ticket to Los Angeles in which I got second place there. I enjoy Commander. My dad kind of thinks it's stupid to play stupid cards and then win. We play more of a casual Commander. That would be really cool if I could ever get to a Pro Tour, but for now I think trying to get someone good at GPs. One of my friends had just bought his first deck of magic cards. He showed me Thank Your Vampire, which is a five mana four four. And I thought it was like the best card in magic. And now I look back and I'm like, silly me. Practice. I mean, that's kind of what makes everyone good at what they do. You can't really be good at something without playing a lot of magic. Another thing that really helps is having two brothers right next to me who are also play magic all of the time, and I can always just talk to them about magic whenever I want to, and that really helped me getting to this competitive level. We've heard from the pros, the legends, and the veterans of the game. Now let's talk about the future of magic, the next generation that will carry the torch onward. I'll be talking to the kids of magic. You just heard from Dana Fisher, Nathan Stoyer, Ethan Brown, Miley Chen, Leo Strober Cohen, and Quinn Kiefer about their magic experiences. I've been recording tape for this episode for about a year now, and I'm excited to finally present the future of Magic the Gathering, all on the season three finale of Kitchen Table Magic.